0: Abibidor podcast. Uh, this is the podcast about the Ebibiter Online Madden franchise, of course. And if you haven't heard, it appears, it doesn't appear, the big news is that it appears uh, this group has decided after, I believe, 28 seasons uh, to end this franchise uh, where it's at right now. That's right after the Super Bowl in the, which season is this, 2046 season, uh, right after the 2046 season Super Bowl uh, to end this franchise and move to Madden 21 and start a new franchise. So looks like I think it's at least 98% uh, certain that that's what's going to be happening here in the near future, don't know really any of the details uh, beyond that. They're still being hammered out, and so, you know, things could always change, but it appears that's where we're going. Uh, And because of that, uh, I'm going to just skip all the development traits uh, that happened in this past season, and if for some reason we end up continuing, then I'll come back to them and I'll go over them all, but, you know, if we're not continuing, they don't matter at all, uh, you know, which players improved uh, during the course of this last year, but I will recap this season... And then I'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, moving to Madden 21. Uh, So to recap this season, uh, I'll just jump to the postseason. I don't even remember the regular season at this point. Uh, I can tell you that the Chiefs did not make the playoffs. All four other user teams did, and they all made the conference championship games in their respective conferences. Uh, So we had the Patriots and Browns playing in the AFC Championship. I did not see this game. Uh, I was busy playing my own game at this point. Uh, Let's just see if there's anything noteworthy in this game. Uh, Well, the box score says uh, Cleveland scored seven points in the first quarter, seven points in the second quarter, 14 points in the third quarter, and the Patriots hadn't scored any. And then in the fourth quarter, the Patriots... Scored two touchdowns, and the Browns didn't score at all. Uh, So kind of an interesting thing going on there. Uh, Keith Hollister, the quarterback for the Browns, uh, kind of a quiet postseason for him. Uh, Had 80 yards in this game with a touchdown and an interception. Isaac Tracy for the Patriots, 277 yards, but he had four picks to go along with two touchdowns. Um, And, man, those turnovers kill you, especially playing against the Browns. They... They're, the margin for error is so small to beat them, you can't turn the ball over. Uh, rushing, Devon Irwin had 13 carries for 215 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I think, huh. so that's 16 and a half yards a carry. And the Patriots have really struggled to figure out how to play against the Browns' running game in recent years. Uh, it looks like those struggles continued. Uh, especially when the Browns get under center in their uh, formations where they're more likely to run. It seems like the Patriots don't really adjust to that uh, very much. Uh, but So that's uh, probably the big performance of the game right now. Devon went over 200 yards uh, with his touchdowns. And then, uh, let's see, receiving, uh, a bunch of Patriots had yardage. Uh, Jennings over 80, Mac Dean from the running back position over 80, Clinton Hamlin had 58, and two touchdowns. Uh, yeah, so the uh, Patriots were the ones throwing it, and the Browns were the ones running it. And let's see if there are any interesting defensive statistics. Uh, three interceptions by Rashard Collins uh, at middle linebacker. Um, so that's a big deal. And got to wonder uh, if the Patriots weren't forcing the ball over the middle uh, and that's why he has three interceptions. So that's a, a big game there from uh, from that middle linebacker for the Browns. And let's see if anybody scored a touchdown on defense. Nope, doesn't look like it. So uh, Browns beat the Patriots. This was at least closer than these games have been in the past, at least by the final score from the box score. It doesn't look like it was close uh, for the entire game. And then in the NFC, the Packers and Panthers... Uh, this game, especially early on, was a, a giant defensive struggle, um, and the Panthers took the lead with a pick six in the first quarter, and then I believe it was a pick six in the second quarter, thrown by Jimmy Griffith of the Panthers that tied it up, um, and then in the second half, the Panthers scored two touchdowns, but the Packers uh, scored Three fourth-quarter touchdowns, and a lot of those set up by interceptions. Uh, Really, the big takeaway from this game is the Panthers kind of threw it away with some bad interceptions. Um, Cole Paul, the rookie quarterback for the Packers, uh, the first pick six he threw was a terrible decision and a terrible throw. And then had another throw later, I think in the first half, just get away from him, Uh, and that was his other interception. Other than that, he played quite well. Uh, Jimmy Griffith, 200 yards, one touchdown, but four interceptions. And I think that's pretty much all there is to say about this game. Uh, both teams ran the ball for over 50 yards, but not much over 50 yards. Uh, so okay running games there. Uh, the real, real story was the fourth quarter interceptions for the Panthers. Uh, they were probably the better team, um, but could not overcome that. And then the Super Bowl uh same theme going on here uh interceptions by the packers was the big difference maker in this game Uh, the browns win 28 21 uh keith hollister again efficient if unspectacular eight of nine passing for 138 yards and no touchdowns no interceptions Uh, he did make some nice plays with his legs uh throughout the postseason and cole paul for the packers a couple of of uh, tough interceptions, he was under a lot of pressure in this game, um, and that uh, contributed to some bad throws. He's over two hundred yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Devon went again for the Browns, um, making a, a pretty big impact on the game. Eighteen carries, one hundred and five yards, three touchdowns. Uh, so he's the engine. He's the offensive engine for this Browns team. Uh, interesting way the scoring went. Uh, Cleveland scored 21 in the second quarter and then seven in the third quarter. They didn't score any in the first and fourth. And the Packers, uh, attempting to make a furious comeback in the fourth quarter, scored 14 fourth quarter points. Uh, some of those came after they recovered an onside kick, uh, which I don't know if we have seen that happen in a user versus user game. Uh, and I don't think we've seen it happen in such a big game. Uh, that allowed the Packers to uh, make it a one-score game with quite a bit of time left and three timeouts, and they kicked it back to the Browns, um, and the Browns ran three plays, ran the Packers out of timeouts, and then threw a bomb against man coverage to Jarrett Wesley uh, to pick up, I think it was a fourth and three. Uh, they got 30 or 40-some out of it, um, and then they were able to kneel down and end the game there. So going for it on fourth down deep in their own territory for the Browns, Uh, to seal the game. Gutsy move uh, turned out to be the right one, and they got it done. So the Browns, uh, again, win the Super Bowl in a fairly good game. Uh, I think it's pretty clear they had uh, the best team, the most talented team in this season. And so, just in case we are uh, completely done with this franchise let's see if I can find some broad statistics for the teams okay in the legacy score it goes A. Munninger for the Browns then B. DeClown for the Packers then R. Munninger for the Panthers then D. Shaver for the Patriots then J. Madden for the Raiders and then B. Morris for the Chiefs that's the legacy score at the end for the coaches as far as uh You know, the accomplishments here, uh, the Browns won 19 Super Bowls and won the conference championship 25 times. Uh, So I believe that was 25 straight Super Bowls the Browns went to, won 19 of them, so that's pretty good. Uh, In second place, the Packers won four Super Bowls and won 15 conference championships. And I don't remember how many Super Bowls they went to. Oh, they went to 15. Super Bowls, obviously. Um, So decent there for the Packers. Uh, Following that with the Panthers, they had uh, three Super Bowl victories. One of those has an asterisk, uh, as we remember from the very beginning of the franchise. uh, Won the conference championship 13 times, so went to 13 Super Bowls. And the Patriots, uh, two Super Bowl victories, two and a half, kind of. uh, Three championships or three conference championships, so they went to the first three Super Bowls, won the first three Super Bowls, except for whatever it is that caused them to not get credit for the third one. Um, so there's there's how all the Super Bowls compare uh, for the user teams, and then the Chiefs, um, none, Snake Eyes there. Uh, so that's how the teams finished up as far as Super Bowls go. Uh, I will, if we are done... I will probably spend another podcast kind of doing a retrospective and and recapping all of that stuff, but um, that's where we stand on Super Bowls, and that's how this season turned out. All right, so, Madden 21. I said there was going to be podcast commentary about this, and you bet your butt there's going to be. So... We are moving to Madden Twenty One partially. Well, let me back up a little bit. So we're starting a new franchise, and I think the main reason for that is we're all kind of feeling like the current franchise is a little stagnant. So let's jump into a new one. You know, restart it. That'll be more fun, and I'm on board with that. Um, I think uh, this is just kind of a feeling I get. I think we'll probably get bored with the next one quicker than we got bored with this one uh, because we've all kind of figured it out. So we're all going to figure out the things that we like to do pretty fast. And it's going to, I think it's going to get into a rut a little quicker. But uh, we're adding a new player, looks like. So that might change some things up. Changing up um, what conferences people are in, that'll help too. Um, But we could just using Madden 20... Uh, this is probably what I would have advocated. Just restart a new franchise using Madden 20, just like it is now. Um, we're all familiar with the players, so we would all have a little bit of a strategy going into the fantasy draft, possibly. Um, we're all familiar with the controls and all that stuff, which I don't think much of that is changing uh, on the new version anyway. Um, but it would give us the mix up that we were wanting, uh, you know, the refresh that we were wanting. Um, and we wouldn't have to spend any money on a new version. Uh, however, three people went ahead and bought the new version. Um, and you know, I don't know how much they spent on it. It looks like 30 bucks is about what Madden 21 is going for right now. I think it's been that way for quite a while. Um, you know, once you get after the actual NFL season, I think that's where they usually put the prices, make it half price. And that's usually what people are buying it for. So Uh, Now we're all going to move to Madden 21 because, you know, some people bought it already. Uh, And we don't want them to make, make them feel like they wasted their money because we're not going to use it now, even though I'm about to make the case that no matter what happens, they wasted their money. Uh, So we're all going to go to Madden 21. And look, that's fine. Um, I get it. Uh, I'm going to do it. But I would like to point out that for that 30 bucks, there are so many other ways you could have spent it. So for example, with $30, you could make a tenth of a monthly car payment on a new Toyota Yaris. Okay. I mean, who doesn't want that? Okay. That's one thing you could have spent that 30 bucks on. I could have spent that 30 bucks on, uh, well, most of a dinner out on Valentine's day with the girlfriend. Instead, I microwaved a meatloaf and, uh, you know, it wasn't, probably the best Valentine's Day dinner that uh, I could have possibly put out there. And you could make the argument that I'm buying Madden 21 after Valentine's Day. So uh, I still could have had that money for Valentine's Day. But to that, I would say, shut up. Um, So, you know, I I could have used that 30 bucks there. I want to go from superstar boyfriend to superstar X-Factor boyfriend. um, And so that extra 30 bucks really could have helped there. Uh, Another thing you could have spent 30 bucks on. Uh, right now, you could spend that 30 bucks, and if my math is correct, you could buy a tenth of a unit of propane to heat your home during the winter right now. Now, at the time that uh, most of you bought Madden 21, if you spent 30 bucks on it, you could have bought 10 units of propane. So it would have been an even better deal for you if you had spent that 30 bucks on propane uh, just you know before this old cold snap. Uh, and then you would have had some very valuable natural gas right now. Yeah, so as you can see, not a trivial thing. Uh this 30 bucks. Oh, but wait, I've got more. Uh with that $30. Let's see if I can go where I have my research here. Hold on, I'll pull it up. Just a moment. With that $30, you could buy stock. What sorts of stocks could you buy for under $30? Well, You could buy stock in Slack. Yes, the instant messaging thing that many people use in their businesses. Why wouldn't you want stock in that? They're currently competing with uh, Microsoft Teams, uh, but Slack is always going to be one of those things people are going to want because they're going to want to compete against the bigger Microsoft. Uh, You could also have bought stock in Virgin Galactic, okay? Spaceflight. You know that's going to be big. You could have had stock in that, but instead... You bought a meaningless video game. I'm going to explain why it's meaningless in a minute. But you could have had stock in spaceflight or you could have had stock in canopy growth. Okay, this is a cannabis industry in the United States. You know that's growing. And finally, you could have had stock in Keurig Dr. Pepper. I did not know those two were combined. Maybe you don't want stock in that. Maybe that's not a good example okay but 30 bucks could be used for a lot of different things and you used it to buy essentially the same video game you already have so i'm going to address that in a minute but i would like to make uh one more point here i've been doing some reading on madden 21 and it appears that their sales are up again Uh, This is according to Den of Geek online. Uh, They do not know, Madden 21 hasn't really released how many uh, copies have been sold, but they're showing that more games of Madden 21 have been played than of Madden 20. Uh, There's apparently a new feature, this might be the only thing uh, that actually makes the game a little better, a new arcade mode, The Yard, 17 million games of that have been played so far. Um, so people are playing more Madden. It looks like people are buying more Madden. And they say this is despite um, that this is being called the worst version of Madden that's been made. Uh, it's got the lowest user scores and lowest critic scores uh, of the franchise's history. And I want to point out that if we want them to make a better game, we've got to stop buying the newest version every time it comes out when it's subpar. If everybody would stop buying it for four or five years, they might get the point that they really need to improve this. So I want to talk about the improvements. Uh, and we talked about this a while back. Um, but really, it appears Madden 21 is exactly the same game as Madden 20. Okay, uh, It appears there are basically, there, there may be little tweaks, but there are no improvements to gameplay, no improvements to roster building, to playbooks, Um, they said they made improvements to franchise mode, but it looks like there are just little tweaks here and there. Um, and, oh, another thing I had seen was they said that they had improved the desync problems, which, uh, we are familiar with that. Uh, EA had said they had improved the desync problems with Madden 21, and, According to YouTubers and pretty much everybody online that plays the game, those problems are just as bad as they were in the previous version. So They, they didn't improve that. Um, so what are you getting for that $30? Basically, all you're getting is the updated ratings for real NFL players on their rosters right now. Just getting an updated roster. You'll get a new rookie class. Um, and, and, you know, you'll add that in there and then you'll get, you know, DK Metcalf might be a little faster. He's going to be a year older. Uh, they'll change some development traits for some guys, that sort of thing. That's all you're getting for that money. And I'd like to point out that doesn't matter much to us when we play our franchise because three years into the franchise, think about DK Metcalf. He was, uh, he was big and he was fast when we started our franchise Uh, I believe he hadn't hit a hidden development trait. Um, But he was still, what, in the 80s? Maybe even the high, he was probably in the high 70s as a rookie receiver. Uh, Three years into the franchise, he was probably 99 or close and just frickin' unstoppable. Um, He he wasn't the same player, so he could have started at almost any point as long as he had had some of those uh, really solid, baseline abilities such as speed, acceleration, release and of course his size um uh, other than that it, it didn't matter it doesn't matter much if we get a new roster it's not going to change him that much uh not not going to change him as much as the way the browns developed him that's what really changed him so 3 years into your franchise those rosters have been you know They've they've been improved or changed or tweaked to however however we want those players to be like. Um so I don't see a whole lot of value in getting a new roster. Uh if that if that's the only reason we're buying the game, I don't see a lot of value in that. Especially not thirty dollars worth of value, which could have bought me stock in a weed company. Um uh, so anyway. Uh I feel like I may be missing one other thing about the new version of Madden twenty-one, but I think I've said my piece there. Um, Obviously, you all are terrible with money uh, and you're going to go bankrupt probably someday in the near future. And it looks like you're dragging me along with you because I'm just going to go ahead and also buy Madden 21. Um, And again, I do think uh, as consumers, we should say to a company, hey, if your product is subpar, I'm not going to buy it. Like I'll, I'll play Madden 20 for five years and let you sit there and be like, hey, why isn't everybody buying the uh, new version? But we're all just lemmings, so when they put out a new version, we automatically want to buy it, then we do buy it. And so, uh, as one of the articles I read said, at this point, EA has no incentive to improve their product because they can just put out a subpar product and people just keep buying it uh, as if it's good. Um, So, you know, I don't like that we're a part of that. Um, But anyway... Yeah, just me ranting a little bit. Like I said, y'all are horrible. You should feel horrible. Okay, we are going to address a kind of sort of listener question. As in, this was a question asked to me um, basically during the course of a normal conversation by someone who has listened to this podcast. So I'm calling it a listener question. It's really just something I kind of wanted to talk about after uh, the question was asked of me. And the question was, Isn't the Tampa 2 defense a defense that causes a lot of turnovers? Isn't that what it's kind of expected to do? Um, And the answer is, well, kind of. Um, It will against an undisciplined quarterback is basically the answer, and I want to explain why that is. And to do that, I'm going to try to do this fairly quickly. I want to talk about the history of the Tampa 2, because I find it interesting, um, and around the time... Tampa 2 became a thing that was known. That was kind of the time when I was starting to discover that, man, you can just read and read and read about football and learn more and more things. Um, so that was kind of part of my football awakening or something. So anyway, um, I, I just tried to do a little research on this and I could not find uh, very much information that i pretty sure I've learned before. Um, so I'm, some of this is, I'm going off the top of my head off of memory um, so the cover two, uh, it's been around, uh, I'd say it's been around since probably the first third of the NFL, maybe halfway. Yeah, probably the first third of the NFL. Um, it's not as old as people, or it's not as new necessarily as people think it is. Um, the part I'm going off of the top of my head here is I believe it was first used in college football and it was used, um, Primarily to stop triple option teams, um, so it, it was more used to stop the run um, than as a as an actual pass coverage. So, if you're not familiar with the cover two, the cover two is where you're going to have four defensive backs, and the corners are going to be up close, and they are going to play close to the line of scrimmage. They are not going to drop deep, usually not going to drop. They're certainly not going to drop deeper than fifteen yards. Sometimes they're not going to drop deeper than ten yards. But they're going to cover the flats. That's the area of the field that's out by the numbers, uh, you know, kind of between the hash mark and the sideline. Of course, on a college field, that's a smaller area than it is on an NFL field. Um, but they're playing that area, and the two safeties have deep halves. This is why it's called a cover two. They divide the field into two sections, and they have deep halves. They got to stay deep on the two halves of the field, um, and that's a lot of area to cover. And then the linebackers, if you're playing a 4-3, let's say, uh, play three hook-to-curl zones. So the outside linebackers don't have to go all the way to the sideline to cover their area. They can stay in around the hash marks and play hook-to-curl there, and the middle linebacker plays hook-to-curl right there in the middle. That's dropping 10 to 12 yards usually for a linebacker. And this was the original cover, too. Um, Now, that is a lot of area, like I said, for the safeties to cover, Um, But because the teams that were using it were playing against triple option teams, uh, there usually weren't receivers everywhere. These are teams that usually had tight ends or wingbacks in close. Um, So there weren't a lot of receivers that could threaten that area. Uh, If you're playing a triple option team against, say, a wishbone, then you can very easily play two safeties over half the field, and all they got to worry about, basically, is the tight end going deep. Um, and so this is where the cover two came from is this was a run defense. This allows you to put nine guys up to play the run. And the, the uh, primary reason it was used against option teams is because if you're playing tri- a triple option team, somebody's got to account for the fullback as the quarterback's putting the ball in his belly. Somebody's got to take the fullback. And then you got to have another player to take the quarterback after he pulls the ball from the fullback's belly. And then you got to have another player after that to take the pitch man. Um and in some defenses that can be really hard to do, especially if you don't have anybody getting off of blocks. Uh, and so the cover two allowed them to use defensive backs to take the pitch man and really take the pressure off the rest of the defense, defending the triple option. Um, so this is not a defense originally that was really designed to play against teams that are going to throw very much. Um, but as early as the 70s, teams in the NFL were starting to use it in coverage more. And um, uh, I would say I don't know a lot about this. I know the Steelers did. Tony Dungy learned the cover two uh, when he played for the Steelers in the seventies. Um, but you were still still playing a lot of teams that are in I formation type sets. So there's only one receiver on each side of the field, um, which still makes it pretty easy for the safeties to cover deep halves of the field. There's only one real vertical threat on their side of the field. Uh, So that's the basic cover two. Um, And oftentimes when you play cover two, you're going to have your corners get up close to receivers, jam them at the line of scrimmage so they can't get down the field as fast. uh, And that helps those safeties cover the deep halves, especially if there's a route trying to get deep deep down the sideline, jamming the receiver helps the safety cover that area. Um, And so that's why it was effective against both run and pass. If you got two tough corners uh, that can jam people and play the run, um, then all you got to worry about is some deep passes down the field. And if the other team isn't very good at throwing deep passes, uh, then you're in good shape. So how did it become the Tampa 2? Well, as you may have guessed, the name comes from Tampa. uh, And that is where Tony Dungy took over as head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tony Dungy played for the Steelers in the 70s for a handful of years. He was not one of the big names on the Iron Curtain defense of the 70s Steelers, uh, but he was on that team for quite a while, and he learned a lot. And the Steelers would situationally use the cover two uh, as a coverage, and they could do this because, one, they had more athletic linebackers than other teams had, Uh, so they could cover the hook-to-curl zones better than linebackers of that era. Uh, Remember, Linebackers of that era were oftentimes about as athletic as the offensive linemen, uh, so things were different then, um, and they would use that, especially at times when they expected the other team to throw short routes, because having the corners up close helps you defend those short routes. So Tony Dungy, uh, before he became Tampa Bay Buc- the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, head coach, played defensive coordinator Played defensive coordinator. He was the defensive coordinator for a lot of NFC teams in the 80s who were playing against the Bill Walsh 49ers. And the Bill Walsh 49ers popularized what's known as the West Coast offense uh, or the Ohio River Valley offense. Um, And this is an offense that is predicated on timing. Okay, getting the ball out quick, getting it to the receiver before the receiver's even getting his head turned, so the ball is there, quick short passes and let the receiver run with the ball after he catches the ball. And so, as he was defensive coordinator, Tony Dungy was trying to take away those short, quick passes, and it's really tough to do, uh, especially if the quarterback is good. And he started experimenting with using this cover, too. Let's have the corners up tight, make it really hard to throw those quick, short passes on the outside, uh, and make you throw something else. When he took over... Uh, as a Tampa Bay coach, he got Monty Kiffin as his defensive coordinator, and the two of them together started figuring out how to use this cover two defense to take away the short, quick passes. But at the same time, this was an era where there are also a lot of really great quarterbacks out there. This was late 90s, early 2000s, uh, the beginning of Peyton Manning's career. Uh, Brett Favre was you know, a godlike figure in the NFL. You had guys that could throw it deep against that weak part of the cover two. You got two safeties trying to cover basically the entire field deep. Um, And so the Buccaneers or any team that's using that cover two had to make modifications to it. And I don't know which came first or I don't remember. I'm sure I've read it. Uh, I don't know if it was the personnel the Buccaneers had or if they came up with this scheme and went and got the personnel. I believe the, they had the personnel, and they started figuring out how to use them. What the Buccaneers did with the cover two is sometimes they would back the corners off a little bit. Okay, Instead of playing a press cover two all the time, sometimes we're going to back them off, maybe make this look like we're playing quarters. Uh, they would still press quite a bit, um, but against the increasing number of three-receiver offenses out there, more quick passes... And more dynamic offenses that could throw the quick passes and throw it deep, back the corners off a little bit, and let them see the routes in front of them and break forward and play them. Uh, that was one of the tweaks they made. And another tweak they made was, and this is a big one, uh, they started throwing in, in their, in their version of cover two, uh, uh, what they called cover two pipe, which was the middle linebacker is going to run the pipe and the pipe was, as receivers are running down the field and the two deep safeties are playing the deep middle, they are getting wider toward the sideline, because they have to be able to play any throw that's thrown to the sideline, and that opens up the deep middle of the field, and they called that the pipe. They're going to have the middle backer sink into that area, and if a tight end or somebody is going to run a seam down the middle, this middle linebacker is going to run with them, and he could go as deep as 30 yards with him. So instead of a middle linebacker playing in the hook to curl zone, which is 10 to 12 to 15 yards, he may end up really, really deep. He's just going to keep getting uh, as deep as he can get, basically, uh, with any receiver that's going to run down the pipe. So this made this defense much more effective against the deep throws. It did allow for throws to be thrown in front of the defense, you know, in the five yards and under area, especially in the middle of the field. Um, but what the Buccaneers learned is if we have a good defense and I'm going to get to the personnel in a moment, but if we have a good defense, we're okay with them throwing that short pass in front of us. We are going to rally to the football and we're going to punish it. I mean, we're just going to beat the tar out of that guy. Um, and, and so these days. This was about 20 years ago that this was developed. These days, teams will use the Tampa 2 as almost a bend-but-don't-break kind of scheme because it does make it kind of hard to throw it down the field, Um, but it invites you to throw a bunch of short passes. And if you're patient, you can throw those short passes and move the ball. Uh, and, And as long as you come up, as the defense comes up, rallies to the football, makes tackles, you won't allow big plays. So that was the scheme. What made it work so well for Tampa Bay was the players they had. At corner, I'm forgetting one of them, but the other one was Rondé Barber. And Rondé Barber was perfect for a cover two because he was not a true speed guy. But if you're a cover two corner, you don't have to be because you're not playing deep. But he did have great instincts, and he was tough, and he was a hitter. And that's what you want in a cover two corner because he's going to have to make tackles, on running plays and passing plays, and you want him to break on receivers that are making plays in front of him and punish them or make plays on the ball, uh, which he was great at doing. And um, at linebacker, they had one of the all-time greats, Derek Brooks, who, you know, if you play Madden, he's like an 88, 89 speed linebacker. Uh, They had, and he was actually an outside linebacker. When they would go to a nickel set, he would move into the middle along with their other great linebacker, Shelton Quarles, uh, who was not quite Derek Brooks level, but he was a very fast linebacker and he was a great coverage linebacker. So either one of those guys could be the pipe guy if they needed him to be. And both of them were very good at breaking on the football. Um, So this became a defense that's just going to kind of sit back and wherever the ball is thrown, they're going to see it and they're going to be in position to break on it. And they were very fast And they were great hitters. And the thing that really made it work was their front four. Uh, Simeon Rice, Warren Sapp, Booger McFarland, and I'm forgetting the other defensive end. But he was no slouch either. Uh, They had a front four that was very disruptive. Uh, The cover two, uh, front four, and this does go back to the 70s, is you want guys that are going to penetrate. okay, Shoot one gap or rip into one gap or maybe slant the line and be disruptive, and this was so perfect for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because Simeon Rice was like a 15-18-sat guy for about three years for them. Warren Sapp was probably the best one-tech defensive tackle to ever play football, or at least he's a top three, top five guy. They were very quick, and they could disrupt. So if you're playing quarterback against that cover two, the longer the play goes on, the more the zones of the defense spread out, the deeper they get. So you're more likely to find somebody open in an intermediate level uh, if, the def- if the linebackers don't sink and get deep. Um, and if they do, then the little dump-off that you make, that guy is going to have more space to run uh, before the defense gets there. But if you have a front four that can get pressure on the quarterback so fast they don't get a chance for that defense to really spread out and create openings. Um and so that's what made this Tampa Bay defense for a period of about 3 years one of the best in the very league, uh, one of the very best in the league and and it's what made the Tampa 2 uh become this this thing everybody can, it's a Tampa 2. Um so I would say a lot of teams have run the Tampa 2 very well since then. Um But the reason it became known as the Tampa 2 is because that defense was so good at running it with that particular set of guys, that uh, personnel. Um, And so when you don't have personnel like that, it's not quite the same. So that is, gosh, about 15 minutes just rambling about that. I hope people found it sort of interesting. But to answer the question, the Tampa 2 can force a lot of turnovers, If your front four can put pressure on the quarterback, you're highly likely to force a lot of turnovers uh, because he's going to be holding the ball because it's hard to get anything down the field. And if you can get to him, you can force fumbles, bad passes, and that sort of thing. Uh, The other way it can force a lot of turnovers is if you have a quarterback that's impatient and he just tries to force something down the field against that Tampa two, it's highly likely to get picked off. It makes it very tough to throw things to the sideline in the intermediate areas. Uh, And it can be very tough to throw down the middle if that middle linebacker can run the pipe well. Uh, And when you run a Tampa 2, you don't always have that middle linebacker running the pipe. Uh, Sometimes you'll try to change it up. Um, But that's often the case is that the middle linebacker is getting deep in the middle of the field. So that's why the answer is kind of. Uh, If you have great personnel, then, yeah, the Tampa 2 makes life just miserable for a quarterback. And if you're playing against a quarterback that's undisciplined and he'll try to force passes he shouldn't, then you're going to get a lot of interceptions uh, that way. So that's the answer on the uh, question, uh, doesn't the Tampa 2 force a lot of turnovers? The answer is kind of, yeah. Um, so there's a listener question. I enjoyed that. Hopefully <laughs> hopefully you guys didn't get worn out by all the rambling. Uh, before we end, I just want to ask a few things of the listeners. We are going to do some sort of retrospective or some sort of closing podcast uh, about this franchise. Uh, I have asked for people's you know best memories or favorite games or whatever. I'd like to do that. I don't know how much work I'm going to put in to the audio recordings for that sort of thing. It, it's, it's tough to find time to do that. Uh, but we do want to do something. Uh, I would also like to hear like, favorite names and things like that. So, like, the Patriots have a player named Dijon Pickens right now. Uh, Dijon, like, Dijon Mustard. Uh, So his nickname in that locker room is Mustard Man. Uh, He doesn't like it very much, but his teammates like calling him that. Uh, And just any other kind of fun names you can remember. uh, Robert Overbay was one of my favorites because, you know, he uses the pen name Robert R. Overbay to write his mystery novels. Uh, so if you can remember, remember remember some other really fun names, uh, from this franchise, I'd love to hear them because I I kind of forgotten all about a lot of the players. Um, and then one other thing, let me know, do we still want to have a podcast on the next franchise? I don't know if we do. Uh, I think it might be kind of fun to do a a preview podcast for the fantasy draft, and then maybe a recap podcast of the fantasy draft. Um, but beyond that, I don't know if this you know, regular podcast following a video game franchise is something that has the legs to continue here. So let me know what you think of that. And we will call it a day for this podcast. That's enough of that. So talk to you next time.